name's Greg Gertis. Um, my wife Janet and I and our three kids have been living in Beijing now for almost a year and a half. Um, this will be our second Christmas in China. Uh, I just wanted to say that I'm really excited that they gave me the opportunity to come up and talk today because I love Christmas. How about that, right? Amen. I got my Christmas red Christmas shirt on. I, I see I got some supporters here who are wearing their shirts as well. Um, trying to support my uh, Christmas beard as well. Um, I like the time that we get off of work, off of school. That was one of my favorite parts of being a kid was Christmas holidays. Um, you've got the meals, this is the music. And, and let me just take a second to, to stop here. And, and can we just praise our worship team for Doug and that team? Um, and then Julianne, that, that whole holy night was amazing. Uh, I, I think I could have listened to that for another half an hour and just sat there and let you guys play for the rest of the, the next half an hour. Um, I also have the gift of having my niece here, Abigail, who uh, has to catch a flight in about you know another couple hours. So I'm going to have to talk fast and we'll try to move out of here as quickly as we can. Now, I, I misspoke a little bit earlier in the fact that although we've been living in China, this isn't really our second Christmas here. Uh, we didn't spend last Christmas here. We won't spend this Christmas here. We usually try to avoid being at our own residence on Christmas. My poor kids, um, they, they actually make the joke that one of our Christmas traditions is not being home for Christmas. Um, they could probably count on one hand on the times that they've actually woken up in their own bed on Christmas morning. Um, but I, I don't think that that's a bad tradition. Because it gives us an opportunity to go worship at somebody else's house. And additionally, we usually try to end up at a house that was somebody who really likes to make a good traditional Christmas meal, right? And so we love going to Grandma's house. That's one of our favorite places to go. We won't be good this year, but um, that's really a blessing. Um, besides fleeing our own home... Um, we do have other Christmas traditions, um, putting up a Christmas tree with ornaments we've collected over the years. My wife is the master decorator on that. Do not get in her way when it comes to hanging the Christmas ornaments. We, have, uh, we hang Christmas stockings, send out Christmas cards, play Christmas music, um, and sometimes break out the Christmas carols You know, whenever the mood arises, which is quite often, uh, for me at least. I'm sure many of you have Christmas traditions as well, um, but do you know where many of these Western Christian traditions came from? Picture this, the year is 1843, the place London, England, so give it up for all my um, brothers from, from England, right, brothers and sisters there. The Industrial Revolution is in full swing. The poor of England were having a very difficult time surviving. Their standard of living was extremely, extremely low. Um, I think we see low, you know, low living conditions here. It was probably that and even worse back then. In fact, in 1843, a new poor law was introduced meant to reduce further the cost of working, um, looking after the poor and preventing scroungers. The extreme poor were housed in workhouses. And poor jails. So they're actually put into poor jails. Um, and the conditions were deliberately um, made extremely harsh so that only the, those who desperately needed to be there would, would actually go there. Diseases such as cholera, 
typhoid, typhus, um, tuberculosis were major problems accounting for many deaths in the cities. And as the cities became more populated and pollution continued to rise, London became infamous for its combination of smoke and fog, which became smog. Um, in fact, 30 years later, in 1873, according to the Environmental History Resource website, over 700 people died in London during a single bad week of smog. Kind of makes Beijing pollution um, seem that it's not that bad, all right? Now, I don't have any fact on this, whether the U.S. Embassy had a, uh, um, a monitoring station there at the time. But my guess is, is that the PMI 2.5 index was probably well over 300 quite a bit of the time there in London at the time. In 1843, the Economist newspaper was also first published. The statue of Nelson was put on in Trafalgar Square on top of the uh, Nelson's column. Hong Kong was proclaimed a British crown colony. And the world's first Christmas cards were sold and sent out. And finally, one of the most popular books ever written was published, A Christmas Carol, by Charles Dickens. The book popularized the phrase, Merry Christmas, and coined words like, come on kids, Scrooge, bah humbug, right? In fact, the author Charles Dickens was, a, was known as a master of vocabulary. He also created other words like a buzz, round the clock, whiz-bang, and flummox. Now, I have no idea what a flummox is. I'd have to ask my British counterparts if they could give a definition. No, no, they, they don't know either. But it is a word that was coined by Charles Dickens. It is said that Charles Dickens had more influence on the way we celebrate Christmas to, Christmas today than any single individual in human history, albeit except one, of course. He had such a powerful influence on his readers. For example, in the spring of 1844, the next year, the Gentleman's Magazine attributed a sudden burst of charitable giving in Britain to Dickens. In 1874, in America, a Mr. Fairbanks attended a reading on Christmas Eve in Boston, Massachusetts, and was so moved, he closed his factory on Christmas Day and sent every employee home with a turkey. And in the early years of the 20th century, the Queen of Norway, we have any Norwegians out here? No? Swedes? They're close. All right, there we go. <laughs> she sent gifts to London's crippled children, signed with Tiny Tim, with Tiny Tim's love. And Tiny Tim, of course, is a character in The Christmas Carol. The story's theme of redemption significantly redefined the spirit and the importance of Christmas. And as the Scottish novelist Margaret Almfant recalled, it moved us all those days as if it was a new gospel. Now, that's a pretty impressive statement, a new, considered a new gospel. Priced at a mere five shillings, 21 pounds, today's money with 36 U.S. dollars, 200 RMB, you know, about the same cost as a book we, we pay today. The first run of 6,000 copies sold out within a couple of weeks by Christmas Eve. And by May 1844, a seventh edition had sold out. All in all, 24 editions in its original form. The book was so successful that there were public readings, plays, silent films, and even modern movie adaptations. You might know some of these. 
1938 MGM classic. This is one of my favorites, what I grew up with. Yes, I grew up in black and white television and watching old movies. Um, this was the first American movie version of A Christmas Carol. I'm sure some of you have seen The Muppets Christmas Carol. Very good. I highly recommend it. Or finally, Jim Carrey's recent Disney version. We got it. All right. For those of you who, who you haven't read the book or seen one of the movies, what's the matter with you? All right. This is Christmas. This is, this is one of the top 50 books ever written in the world. At least rent the movie. This is your homework. You will rent in the next 11 days before Christmas. Either get a copy of that book or re, or watch one of the movies. All right. That's how much I think it can infect, uh, affect your life. You could rent it on iTunes. There we go, two ninety nine or something like that. There we go. All right. Well, the Carol, which in Dickens' time. Now, this is an interesting fact. The word Carol itself says it's a song about Christmas. That's the original meaning of a Carol. And it's broken. This one is broken down into five staves, so it has five musical sections to it, telling the story of a bitter old uh, old miser named Ebenezer Scrooge, and his transformation into a kindler, gentler, merry man after being visited by the ghost of his former business partner, Jacob Marley, and three other ghosts—the ghosts of Christmas, past, present, and yet to come. Today. I would like to share with you my thoughts on the Christmas past, present, and yet to come. So let's start with Christmas past. When we think of Christmas past, most of the time we're thinking of this manger scene. Okay? We're thinking of the little town of Bethlehem. But the seeds of Christmas were actually planted long before that. And if we go back to the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah 9-6, For to us a child is born, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What is important here is that a child was born, but a son who already existed, who had been promised long before, was given. We see this first of many promises or prophecies of this Messiah coming all the way back to the garden. God created the world and it was good. And he created man, and it was very good. And he created woman, and it was extremely good at that point, right? And a beautiful daily relationship. Mark taught, I I almost want to just turn that message over to Mark, because in his short saying, he kind of encompassed everything I'm going to talk about today, whether he meant to or not. But a beautiful daily relationship existed between man and God. And as we learned a couple weeks ago, that man chose to get on the throne. And if we had a chair here, I'd get up on the throne, right? John John doesn't want me to get up on his chair. God confronts the man in the garden after this. And man, of course, blames the woman, who then blames the serpent. And so God confronts the serpent, and he says in Genesis 3.15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Thus the promise of an offspring... An offspring of a woman who would eventually crush the, crush the serpent's head. A promise fulfilled in Christ's victory over death. A victory all of us believers share. You see, after the fall, after 
we placed ourselves on the throne, as we learned a couple weeks ago, God didn't walk away from man. Instead, he promised us Christmas. He said, I will send a Messiah, a Savior, who, who will redeem you from this mistake. And he didn't stop there either. He also took care of their immediate needs. So the Lord God, in verse 21, made them even garments. He took care of their immediate needs as well before he had them leave the garden. We are reminded of this coming Messiah years later when God makes a promise to a man in the city of Ur. Okay, Ur. It's modern day Iraq near uh, the city of Basra. And he says in Genesis 12:3, I will bless those who bless you, and I, whoever curses you will curse, and all peoples on earth will be best blessed through you. And he says it again in Genesis 22:18 to this man, and through your offspring all nations on the earth will be blessed. Then to his son Isaac, who we know was not a great father, we might have, you know, our own issues. He wasn't a great father, but yet he still chose Isaac and said, And through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed. And then to Jacob, whose name means deceiver, right? And yet he chose this man and said, Genesis 28:14, All people on earth will be blessed through you and offspring. And what tribe will he come from? Well, Genesis 49:10, we, we are told that this Messiah will come from the tribe of Judah. And God promises this, that this, this man will come from the line of David as well. And David, although he's a king, is also a murderer and an adulterer. You know, he's a failed man. But God says in Psalm 132.11, The Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath he will not revoke. One of your own descendants I will place on your throne. And who will be this child's mother? We see that God is going to defy the laws of nature. With a virgin birth. And in Isaiah 7:14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And where will this child be born? Well, we find out seven year, 700 years before he's born in Micah 5:2. But you, Bethlehem. And I don't know if any of you have been out to Israel and see Bethlehem. But it is a small place. Can you imagine if I said, well, some village out in Hebei. In 700 years from now, there's going to be a Savior who's going to come from that small little village. That's pretty much what it would be like. But you, Bethlehem, though you are the small, small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for, for me one who will be ruler of Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And that word ancient times in Hebrew actually can mean from eternity. So when will this Savior be born? Daniel 9.25, we are given a time frame actually when the Messiah will come. No one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be 77s and 62 sevens. According to biblical scholars, these are just a few of the 300 messianic prophecies that Christ fulfilled at Christmas and during his life. What are the chances of one man fulfilling all these prophecies? Well, several years back, mathematician Matt Stoner had his graduate students calculate the odds, what the odds would be of someone, a person filling just eight of these prophecies. And he found the chance was one with 17 zeros behind it. 
All right. So that's 100 quadrillion, one in 100 quadrillion. That's a big number. The U.S.'s debt hasn't got that high yet. I'm sure it will in another century. Stoner gives the analogy. Suppose that we take 100 quadrillion silver dollars, all right, and lay them in Texas Stadium. They'd be two feet deep. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Not Texas Stadium. The entire state of Texas. Now, how big is Texas? Well, you can fit England in it and the Netherlands and Germany and still have plenty of room left over. All right. That's how big we're talking. Two feet deep of coins. And imagine marking one of those coins and sending a blind man out and say, just pick up a coin and see if you can find that one coin of those hundred quadrillion. What are the chances of that? Now, let's, let's put it in Chinese terms. China, actually, I did the math on this this weekend. There are 100 quadrillion cubic centimeters in all the land of China. A cubic centimeter is about the size of your fingernail, okay? So now, what if I hid an object in China the size of my fingernail and said, we want you to put a blindfold on and go find it? We're talking all of China. Most of you probably haven't been too far out of Beijing. Maybe to, you know, Xi'an to see the warriors. How about all the way to Xinjiang, right? Or all the way south, all the way north, right? This is a huge place. Imagine trying to find a single fingernail. Okay. Now, what's even more amazing is that Stoner had his graduate, uh, graduate students calculate the odds of any one person filling 48, not just eight, 48 of these 300 plus prophecies. And the odds went up to one with 157 zeros behind it. All right. So we're talking something that's amazing and impossible. So as I conclude in Christmas past, there's three items I want you to remember. One, Christmas is about rejoicing in a God who cares about Each one of you, Mark even said this, each one of you, who despite the fall and our continued disobedience, he provided a savior. A son was given, and like with Adam and Eve in the garden, he sees your immediate needs as well. Isn't that just amazing that we serve that type of God? The second thing is, we follow God of fulfilled promises. Because when we live, the time we live, we're able to look back They didn't have that opportunity back in the Old Testament, but we're able to look back and we can see over thousands of of, uh, years of God making promises to several people and then fulfilling them. Isn't that a great feeling to know that we have a God of fulfilled promises as well? And finally, nothing is impossible to God. Even if it's 1 times 10 with 17 zeros behind it or 157 zeros behind it, it's nothing's impossible for our Lord. So let's move on to Christmas present. So what about the Christmas present that we're in now? Take a minute and think about that yourself. Well, if we look at the news, things don't look too good. We've got Ebola virus in Africa. In the Middle East, there's the ISIS crisis. We have armed conflicts in places like the Ukraine. We're facing global global environmental issues. Many countries are facing financial difficulties. And what if we take it closer to home to yourself? How many of you have relationship issues? Health concerns that we talked about this morning. Legal matters. Employment problems. Or maybe like Scrooge in the beginning of the Christmas Carol, 
You don't even like Christmas. Maybe something happened that you just don't even like Christmas. Rather than dwell on this, we're going to jump ahead to Christmas yet to come, okay? We're going to get out of the present for a minute. We'll come back. So, you ask, hey Greg, how do you have any idea about Christmas yet to come? I got one thing to say to you. I read the Bible. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, in, just in that verse alone, God gave um, the, entire, the entire message is in that one verse. God gave, we have a choice to believe, and the yet to come is either perishing or eternal life. It's the end of the story right there. But he doesn't leave, just like in the garden, he doesn't leave you hanging with that. He says, John 14, 1 through 4, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, also trust in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have not told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. So, well, how is the Lord going to come back? How do we, you know, what's Christmas future going to look like or Christmas yet to come? Acts 1 through 1, verse 11. Men of Galilee, the angels say, why do you stand here looking at the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And how does that look? Well, I've got a whole bunch of verses for that. Okay, Matthew 24, 30. At that time of the sign, the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations on the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky, the power and great glory. Matthew 26, 64. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming in the clouds of heaven. And Mark 13, 26 through 27. At that time, you'll see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Mark 14, 61 through 62. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty, uh, of the mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Daniel seven thirteen verse 14. Old Testament prophecy. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power, and all nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Dominion that will, that will pass away and his kingdom is the one that will never be destroyed. Okay, what we do <clears throat> last... Let's think of what we did last week with communion. What about communion? 1 Corinthians 11.26. You guys celebrate this every time you have communion. For whenever you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await from, uh, a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Hebrews 9.28 so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of the many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, not to, sacri- not to sacrifice himself, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So what do I want you to take away from Christmas yet to come? One, the God who cares about you is preparing a place for you now, 
and will transform your lowly bo- our lowly bodies of disease and aches and troubles so that our bodies will be like his, a glorious body. What's the second thing? The God of fulfilled promises promises to come again. And he repeats it over. And he's not going to just come meek and mild the second time. It's going to be in power and glory. He came the first time meek and mild. In fact, the Jews, if many of the, the, in the old traditions, they thought there were going to be two messiahs. Because they couldn't understand. There's this talk of this meek and mild, but there's also this talk of this great, powerful messiah. And that's... We have our meek and mild. When he comes again, it's going to be the strong, powerful Lord. Finally, the God for whom nothing is impossible conquered the impossible, the grave, so that we may have eternal life. And that's just mind-blowing. So the last part, let's return to the present. What should we do now with all the craziness going around us? I have three ideas for you guys. One, live in blessed hope. Titus uh, 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from our wickedness and to purify himself, a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. The second one is to know where your treasures are. Matthew six nineteen through 21. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And finally, this would not be a true CCC message if we didn't have John 15 in here somewhere, right? Amen? (laughs) So verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. And in verse 17, this is my command, love each other. He loved us before we deserved it. And we don't, he just, he loved us. Sharing that love with those around you. You know what? We don't always deserve it. But we have that, we have that responsibility of abiding in Christ to share his love. If you haven't accepted Christ as your personal savior, I encourage you to follow Scrooge's steps in the Christmas carol. In his book, Reclaiming a Christmas Carol by author Stephen Skelton, he lays out the biblical principles upon which Dickens built his Christmas redemption tale. Dickens established the first part of the story to deal with the principle of sinfulness, especially selfishness. Next, he moved into the principle of regret, which Scrooge experiences with the spirit of Christmas past. Then Scrooge experiences repentance with the spirit repentance with the spirit of Christmas present. And finally, Scrooge experiences salvation when he prays for forgiveness as the spirit of Christmas future leaves him. So the story takes us from sinfulness to regret to repentance to salvation, which not only Ebenezer Scrooge's journey, but our journey as well. For those of you who have already come to Christ, 
I encourage you to enjoy all the beautiful traditions of Christmas. But I also encourage you to abide in, to abide in Christ by becoming a Christmas Scrooge. A changed person. In my closing words, from Scrooge himself in A Christmas Carol, which I know all of you are going to read or watch a movie, right? We got 11 days left till Christmas. Here's Scrooge's closing words. I am as light as a feather. I'm as happy as an angel. I am as merry as a schoolboy. I am as giddy as a drunken man. A Merry Christmas to everyone. A Happy New Year to all the world. Thank you, Father. Amen.